Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, breath of God and fire of love, we cannot pray, we cannot reflect, we cannot receive reflection without your aid. Kindle in us the fire of your love and illumine us now with your light, that with steadfast wills and holy thoughts, we may approach the Father in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Father reign in eternal union. Amen. You may be seated. One of those opportunities to reflect on briefly a, a book that we don't often hear from, Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Hey Backpack, as Gary helped someone remember how to pronounce it on Sunday. Um, it is one of those prophets that's it's picked up in the New Testament a few times, four times actually, twice by Paul, twice in Hebrews, and it's actually in our reading. It's chapter 2, verse 4. We'll get there in a minute, but it's one of those books that we probably don't have too much familiarity with, so I'd love to use what the Bible Project gives us as an overview just to kind of set the context and the big picture of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet in the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah. So Israel has already fallen, the northern ten tribes, and the two tribes in the south are about to fall in a few years. So the threat of Babylon, that big empire, is kind of looming at the doorstep. What's interesting about Habakkuk is he doesn't, as so many other Israelite prophets do, he does not accuse Israel of sin. He doesn't call them out. That's usually one of the main jobs of the prophets, but Habakkuk doesn't do that. Nor does he speak to Israel on God's behalf. That's another one of the main jobs of a prophet, to kind of tell the people of God the word of God. But Habakkuk is a bit unique in that all of his words are in a personal dialogue with God. It's a back and forth between him as an individual and Yahweh and a response. It's all about Habakkuk's personal struggle to believe that God is good in the midst of Um, So much evil and tragedy in the world. We know the story of Israel and of Judah and the kings and just how the spiral of sin continues to bring them down, which is why Babylonians come in, why the exile happens. Um, And we all know that personal struggle, I think, that uh, we struggle to believe that God is really in control, he really loves us, he's really good, especially when we experience personally that tragedy and evil for ourselves. And so quickly, the outline of of Habakkuk is... um, Complaint number one, there's injustice everywhere, says Habakkuk. Everywhere I look, the rulers are bad, the people are bad, I'm bad, everyone's bad. Are you going to do anything about this? We hear that in his, um, in his first complaint, which is part of what we read. Why do you look at wrong and do nothing? Why do you allow evil to happen and sit idly by? And the response, response number one is Yahweh saying, oh, I, I see it, don't worry, the Babylonians are coming. And complaint number two follows that up with the Babylonians, they're worse than us. How can you use Babylon, a more evil nation than us, to judge Israel? And the response that God gives to that in the next part of the book is, well, Babylon too will have its day. It will be brought down. But, and here's the key of probably the whole book because it's quoted so much, that line in chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. And then five woes that... God is kind of pronouncing against Babylon that are eventually going to happen. And this is, it's, it's kind of a way of saying that God doesn't let anything go idly by. He does not ultimately let any injustice be perpetrated without its due justice. And it ends in this great way, Habakkuk 2, the last two verses. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath in it at all. The idea that um, P. 
People are idly calling out for the idols of their nations to save them, to persecute justice, to go and do what they're supposed to do. And then here's the way chapter 2 ends. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That, I think, is um, one of the verses that can be used to open morning or evening prayer. And that what we're doing when we pray, what we're doing when we gather in worship is to just uh, behold that the Lord is in his temple, on his throne, and we need to keep silence before him. I think this is where I find a connection with that kind of very weird gospel passage, right? I mean, when you've done all that you've commanded, just say, we're unworthy sinners, we're unworthy slaves, we're unworthy servants. And I think the connection is this, that... um, We talk a lot about God being able to handle our complaints, and that's true. The Psalms are very honest. Habakkuk's being very honest. He's complaining to God of um, his inaction, it seems. But at the end of the day, too much complaining can kind of put ourselves a bit too high on the scale of things, as if we can sit in judgment over God and say, "You, you didn't do right. You haven't done what you're supposed to do, which is why I think um, Habakkuk chapter 2 ends that way. That even though it's true that God can handle our complaints and when we go through personal tragedy, we can complain to God. But at the end of the day, complaint can't be the last word. Faith has to be the last word. This expression that Habakkuk makes in the next chapter and how he ends the book, his, his prayer, the way Habakkuk ends, is in the face of everything he's complained about, when God basically tells him, shut up, be silent before me. You are not God, I am. I'll take care of it. You just have to believe that. He ends the book this way. The prayer of Habakkuk, chapter 3, the prophet. O Lord, I've heard report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He remembers that God does work that he does show up in history, that he, he has stories that he's been told and that he knows personally of where God has actually done what he's been called to do, prayed for to do. And that is enough for him, to Habakkuk, just to say that even though it's not happening on my timeline, even though it's not happening the way I want it to happen, I trust God because I know the old stories that you're going to set things right. You know the best. And here's how the whole book ends. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So it's okay to complain. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to give God your best. Um, But at the end of the day, when we stand before him and we realize just how sinful we are and how holy he is and how good he is and that he is mercifully remembering the covenant he made with us, the blood of Jesus that lets us in the door, that's when, as the gospel says, we'll just say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what we were commanded to do. And that's, I think, in the end, the response of faith. And so I'd, I'd like to end very much like I did last week. Uh, if you would, please close your eyes and think of just a, an area in your life that um, 
you would like an increase of faith. Lord, as your disciples prayed, increase our faith in Jesus' name. Amen.